0: Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to realrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider, Axness, because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Life-Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. And SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axnes PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise cancelling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axnes P&G wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1800 public safety, air ambulance and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axnes system in 4 different countries and on 5 different airframes. It is awesome! If you want more information, contact them today at Axnes.com. That's axnes.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescuer, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-lock. The team at LSC will cut. Bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC. Tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescue gear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And... SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations and equipment. The training staff is awesome! With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them. They offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at SR3RescueConcepts.com or over on Instagram. At SR3 underscore rescue. Up next, we are joined by another U.S. Navy rescue swimmer. The cool part about this story is he talks about two guys that punched out of a F-14 Tomcat, landed in the water, and he had to go get them. It is incredible. I'm super stoked to have him on, so please welcome Mr. Harry Knight my name is jason quinn i am united states coast guard rescue swimmer number 500 these are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live this is the real rescue podcast Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Real Rescue. Oh, buddy, I got another Navy Rescue swimmer coming at you. Man, it's starting to like, you guys are like coming out of the woodworks right now. It's going to be like a little Coast Guard swimmer and uh, Navy swimmer, a little battle. Come on, Mr. Harry Knight.
1: Hey, morning, Quinny, man. Navy's got to represent. Navy's got to represent. How are you doing today, man?
0: I am awesome. Uh, you guys are doing really well at the moment. Like, I I think I'm getting more calls from you guys than my own boys. <laughs>
1: no, I've heard more so we get more because you guys are still up there in numbers.
0: Uh, I don't know about that. I think you might have a few more of that <laughs> in numbers than we have, but <laughs> man, it's yeah, well, awesome. Well, i tell you, man, thank you for coming on. And, and, you know, you and I have been emailing back and forth and I'm excited to hear some of the stories that you have, and and definitely the award you got—a killer award—that I'm going to get into. But before we go that far, man, you know the drill. Give a little background yeah. about you, how you got into the Navy, and how you became a rescue swimmer.
1: Yeah. So, like I said, you know, my name's Harry. I'm originally from Baltimore, so go O's. We already had that. Go Red weekend. Sox. <laughs> okay. That? You're breaking Can't, up from over. Oh,
0: sorry, sorry. Red Sox, <laughs> Red Sox.
1: Going through a tunnel. Tunnel. Go. <laughs> Originally Baltimore. Um, my dad and stepdad were both army. So we moved around a whole lot. Um, when I was 17 years old, my stepdad, we were stationed in Fort Hood, Texas, um, clean Texas, central Texas. And anybody who's been there knows it's flat, dry, and it's a big army town. So I knew central Texas was not the place for this guy. So, uh, right <laughs> you know, me and a we went to the neighbor recruiter um said hey want to join the navy and he goes well you're only 17 this is what you'll need i'm like that's fine i can get signatures on a form for you um so we looked at some different options and he was an h46 guy he was a rescue swimmer and a a flight mechanic so i said hey i said you know i want to fly helicopters be a rescue swimmer he goes are you good in the water i said i'm pretty good i think so he goes well these these are the different options the different ratings you get and a lot of them were related to being a mechanic. Either you're a, you know, an AD, which is a power plants guy working on the engines or you're an air framer. So I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not really big on mechanics. You know, I can, I can turn a wrench and I can turn a screwdriver but I'm not too big of a mechanic. I said, what's this AW thing? He goes, oh, you track submarines. So I'm like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. How do they do that? He goes, well, learn about it in school. Can't, I can't tell you anything about it because I don't know. So nice. okay, I said, okay, I'll pick that rating. So me and my buddy, we picked the same rating. Um, he was, you know, he chose to go to the P3 Navy, which is the, uh, the the fixed wing, and I wanted to go helicopter. So, um, graduated high school early, um, January of 81, um, two days before my mom and brother's birthday, which ironically, both their birthdays were yesterday. My mom keeps reminding me about the uh, the day I got on the bus leaving clean Texas, two days <laughs> before my birthday. Um, you know, the, a, a, as we all know, there's things that Stay in your head. and you, They will never leave. And that was one of the things seeing my, my mom and brothers. But uh, again, you know, it's time for me to go. So get to Texas, 17 years old. And um, back then, that's when the company commanders, they're allowed to get in your face. So went through boot camp in Orlando, Florida, um, went to Naval Air Crewman School in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And basically there, you know, if, if, if you wanted to go swimmer, if you're good in the water, you would continue that route. And I was good, you know, because when I lived in Vermont in middle school, I was part of the the recreational swim team and stuff like that. So did get in the water, got done with air crew school, went to the AW technical school, which at the time was in Millington, Tennessee, where they teach all the basics about using radar, using sauna buoys, you know, for tracking the submarines and stuff like that. Um, Then I was off to my helicopter training command out in uh, North Island, out in San Diego. And then you know the beginning of the command there. You first go through rescue swimmer school. So again, eighteen years old, being uh, the the where where they had the uh, PT ground was outside the base clinic. I think yeah. they did that. For, um, there was a small. They absolutely
0: triangle. do that for a reason. I'm just...
1: <laughs> I think they did because there were several times people were kind of like hobbling over to the clinic. So you know that you know the rescue swimmer school. Um, ironically, at the time, you know two two of the uh, senior instructors were 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 navy seals um and it was there is their shore duty um so you know thought i was getting in the water was okay got better you know because you know the you know the as you know it's a lot of it's similar to what the coast guard did as far as getting you ready in the water so it was pretty intense um yeah. so got got done with rescue swimmer school uh, went back to the training command to finish getting certified as a crewman in the in the helicopter i flew in the uh the the K- the navy sh2 and back in the day and any of my old folks that are listening to it is made by cayman aerospace and uh, back in the 80s unfortunately it was nicknamed the cayman killer because they were old hell and there were a lot of mishaps mechanical failure pilot failure but that was their given nickname so any of my old N- navy buddies that are listening they they'll be able to relate to that um
0: they're all nodding right there like oh yeah yeah, yeah. Me, I'm yeah. looking at it like, what, what is this helicopter? Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I at least know what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. So got done with the training command and uh, went across the street to my seagoing squadron, which is, was, uh, HSL 35. Our nickname was the magicians. Um, and I did uh, sea duty and shore duty there. And, and I enjoyed it. It was probably out of my 20 years in the Navy. I was there almost nine years and it was probably the best nine years of my Navy career. Um, and then, uh, you know, from there, I was moving on to the H-60 Bravos were coming out in the Navy fleet. I was going through training there. Um, unfortunately, I had some vision problems, got diagnosed with glaucoma, which, because of tunnel vision, you know, you can't be a rescue swimmer yeah. looking for water when you've got tunnel vision, so uh, had to had to hang up the rescue gear and uh, got swapped over to flying in the uh, P-3 patrol plane for my last 10 years in the Navy, so
0: dang that's still a pretty killer career man
1: that that's pretty awesome i did some deployments i had you know one thing i can say whether i was in helicopters or p3s i had the luxury of every time i deployed because i was a west coast guy every time i deployed i had the luxury of going to australia which was awesome down there the land down
0: yes please yeah
1: it was it was good it was good i can't complain one bit and I got to, got to see a lot of things in my neighbor career that a lot of people don't, you yeah. know, but I, enjoy, it, it, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it.
0: Man, that's awesome. What a what a great career. I mean, it's actually kind of cool. You, you just did, you know, half your career in helicopters and then the other half in fixed wing. Sounds like a lot of pilots I know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, funny. The, the, it's funny. I've got a, uh, you know, the uh, license plate on my truck has got h two. H 60 P three. And, uh, so there was some guy on the base where I work at, he goes, you were an AW weren't you? I said, how could you tell? He goes, your license plate. Cause nobody else does those kind of platform jumpings unless you're an AW. So
0: ah, that's awesome.
1: So, nice. But I, I enjoyed it.
0: That's fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, what, so after you graduate storm school, what was your very first rescue? Or you had actually a couple of best anyway, go, go. Yeah. This is your, this is your show. What am I doing? Go. <laughs>
1: Nah. So, I mean, um, you know, listen to your podcast, you know, you know, a lot of these guys had big ones. I, you know, I had what, what I thought was one big one. There was a couple of minor things, people that fell overboard on, on the, you know, pulling out of the port in San Diego and things like that. You know, they just fell over They're like 20 feet behind the ship. We were already hovering around. So it was just either drop, you know, we dropped the horse collar, pick them up and drop them back on the ship. Uh, so there's like, yeah, okay. You know, thanks. Whatever. Some of these people, it is back in the day it was you know some of these guys way in the navy i think is their way of uh getting out of going on deployment they jump overboard and hopefully nobody finds them is what what they seem to seems to be a there was a trend of that back in the day let's put it that way oh, so other wow. than that you know those are just some little things that led to the one that i was you know pretty proud of and i thought was pretty significant in my I, career
0: and i'll tell you what we you know you and i were talking about this a little bit because i'm going to read this here in a second um I like this write-up and the reason I like this write-up is because it's vague (laughs) and that's (laughs) one of the differences that I've seen about between like Navy write-ups and right now Coast Guard write-ups Coast Guard puts a little sparkle on it they make it sound all woo and Navy's like good job you did your job go back (laughs) to the line
1: (laughs) yeah pretty much how it was sometimes that's pretty much how it was sometimes
0: that's funny I I, yeah I was digging it so I'll tell you what let me let me read this and then uh and then, yeah, I can't. I'm looking forward to hearing the backstory. So here we okay. go. The Secretary of the Navy takes pleasure in presenting the Navy Combination Medal to Aviation Anti Submarine Warfare Operator, Third Class, Harry Oliver Knight, United States Navy, for service as set forth in the following citation for heroic achievement as an air crewman attached to the helicopter anti submarine squadron, the light. 35 on 4 September 1984. Pedaster Knight was flying in a TG-31 an SH-2F helicopter on the night when a mission of an aircraft was unexpectedly called upon to carry out a rescue at sea. Pedaster Knight made immediate preparations for two survivors. During the search, equipment failure required Officer Knight to function as the pilot's reference for a stable hover. His professionalism and outstanding knowledge of the aircraft systems and rescue techniques, plus his timely actions, were instrumental in saving the lives of two pilots. Cadastro Knight's textbook performance on a night with low visibility and fraught with numerous hazards reflected greatly upon himself and was in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Harry. It's big, but two guys in the water, and I, I'm only thinking, like, two guys just had to punch out, and they're calling yep. you, oh, buddy. Okay. You yep. know, Ta- yep. let, me, let me say one more thing here because it needs to be recognized. Not only did you earn uh, this Navy combination medal, the, another couple of days later, um, you have got a letter with a, from an appreciation from the commanding officer of the fighter squadron. Uh, in addition to that, you earned uh, a safety award, and in addition to that, you guys were recognized. Your whole crew was recognized in the local uh, paper there at the at the naval base. That that's awesome. Yep. So you guys, you guys really got recognized for this. So I'm really excited about hearing the backstory to this. So tag, yeah, cool. you are it.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of funny, you know, my 20 year career and 24 hours is. <clears throat> was the highlight of it, but yeah, it was, It was you know, it, so um, again, you know, flying in the helicopter we did, a lot of stuff we did was tracking submarines. Um, so off the coast of San Diego, kind of off the coast between San Diego and Los Angeles, there's an island, it's, a, you know, San Clemente Island. Um, well, on the west side of that island, they have what they had, you know, an ASW range, anti-submarine warfare range, where submarines would go out there so they could practice their stuff and we can practice our stuff. Um, so it was an evening training flight. Uh, we were out there. There was a H3 helicopter from the base. Um, they were out on the range, and this is when the H60 Bravos were just coming out to the Navy fleet. Um, so there was a helicopter from HSL-41, which is was the uh, H60 training command. So all three of us were out there doing doing our stuff, you know, tracking the submarine and everything. And the uh, the helicopter I flew in the H2, you know, we only had a two and a half hour, you know. Endurance for fuel, and getting out there alone was a good forty-five minutes or so. So we're out in the range. Um, We had to refuel, Uh, so we go back to San Clemente Island, and we're refueling. Um, And at the time, you know, back in the day, the H-46 crewmen they had the long ICS cords, the walk-around cords. We, we took, you know, that they had, so they could be talking to the pilots while they're refueling doing stuff. Um, It was after that night I learned that well. Air crewman Harry Knight wants to have one of those because it, it, it we had to do sign language like you and me started out this glorious. Day. So we're out there. We're, you know, we're hot pumping. And when we do it, did in our helicopter, we, we closed the, the door for where the pilots were just in case there was any incident. It, it you know, it pre- prevented any flashbacks or anything. So it's nighttime that the, the, the guys were fueling the helicopter. Um, I always did my walk around to the helicopter um you know because i just you know looking for leaks and again any of my old h2 buddies they'd know if it wasn't leaking it was empty um so (laughs) we're walking around doing our thing and the pilot was trying to get my attention apparently and i didn't see him waving at me because it's you know nighttime so he finally took his his uh flashlight out and and flashed it at me i'm like okay so i open up get hooked up to the ics he goes hey as soon as we get done filling up they've got an f-14 that's been that ditched in the water and we're the only helicopter they could get a hold of i'm like really you know so at this i was not even
0: hold on i know that expression because i've had that what you did what
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're they're calling us i mean as you know every the navy as well as the coast guard if you're a helicopter one of your side jobs is search and rescue that's just part of the job but I'm like, they're calling us. I said, there's an H three out on the range. He goes, yeah, but they're below the Island. They can't, you know, they can't get in touch with them on, on the air traffic controllers. Can't get in touch with them. I'm like, okay, well, how much, how much more gas we need? He goes, we're almost done. I'm like, okay, so we get done fueling. Um, we get in there, you know, we we take off, um, and where, the guys were, so there was an 2 Hawkeye, which is, you know, when I explained it to people, it's the airplane that's got the big radome on top that goes on the carrier that, you know, kind of tracks everything in the area. And they were just, they just happened to be out on a training flight. And um, there was, so there was a crew from, it was VF 211. um, I believe they are called the Fighting Checkmates back then, uh, F-14. The good old Tom Cruise Top Gun type jet, you know, for people that don't understand, you know, different types of aircraft. Um, they had an engine malfunction, and they 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 had to put you know they shut one engine down, then the other engine failed on them. So they had they had to punch out, as we were saying. Um, so they were in the water, and the E2 Hawkeye got their emergency distress beacon. Um, so they were making contact, you know, with I, I think like Los Angeles Tower, San Diego Control, and stuff like that. Um, and that's how you know the the people that on San Clemente Island, their air traffic controllers got a hold of us. Um, so they were the only people that we had communications with was the E2 Hawkeye. They kind of gave us a vector to go on route. So we started heading that way. Um, they had us on their radar. Um, they were bringing us in. Um, so again, you know, September of 84. So mind you, I was not, I was 20 years old. Um, so as, you know, as you can, as you can relate, and I'm sure everybody else has been in the, the first case, as you guys like to call it, yeah. um, my adrenaline was pumping. I'm like, okay, this is cool, you know? Um, one thing I will wish I'd, that was done to me, one of your guys, I think it was uh, your first Coast Guard swimmer, he talked about how he had guys practice getting into their gear in the back of the helicopter.
0: Oh, yeah, I, yeah.
1: I wish that was something that w- we had done because the helicopter I flew in was small. Um, when we were configured for tracking submarines, we had what's called a sonobly launcher in there. So we had my seat and we had a single collapsible troop seat. And that was about it. There was no room. Um, so the, you know, it was nighttime, it was like 10 o'clock at night. The, um, the discussion we had, you know, as far as the crew coordination was the issue we had was the rad out radar altimeter on the helicopter was down, was broke, which meant technically we were down for nighttime SAR. We could do a daytime SAR, but as you know, the rad out, that's what keeps the pilot in that hover he wants with it's 50 feet, 60 feet. Um, so it, so it was down. So technically we were down for nighttime SAR. Um, oh, I believe geez. the pilot, we the Lieutenant Commander Cummings, you know, experienced pilot, the uh, co-pilot was uh, uh, Lieutenant Arnold, I believe was his name. Who's an experienced pilot as well? Then you had Harry the Nugget crewman in the back. So we had <laughs> <a> discussion. <clears throat> we had a long discussion about, OK, can we do this? Technically, we can't. But can we go out there and at least circle them so they know helps on the way? I'm like, we can do that. And then the discussion came. Since the radar radar altimeter was down, that Lieutenant Arnold, once we were were to give him the hover, his sole job was would be to look at the altitude for Lieutenant Commander Cummings. You know, so we're like, well, we can try that. You know, and if it if if it seems like it's too rough out there, and we and he couldn't keep him a steady hover, then we would just circle him. That way, they know there's at least help on the way. So we're like, okay, that's the game plan. So the helicopter I flew in was a single crewman helicopter. So. You know, the Coast Guard, you guys get your flight mechanic and get you as a rescue swimmer each have a job. Well, in our helicopter, the H2 and like the the Navy H60 Bravos, um, you're kind of combined. Both those skills were combined into one. So I was a a crew air crewman and a rescue swimmer all in one. Um, Back in the day, the helicopter I flew in. We didn't have the Stokes litter. We didn't have a a rescue basket. We didn't have those things Our our rescue kit was basically a parachute bag that had the quick splice in it in case we had a, a cable malfunction. Uh-huh. The horse, some blankets, a basic medical kit, and stuff like that. It was was until several years later that the true rescue kit came around. So, I, so the chances of me going to the water were slim. And if I did go in the water, I was staying there till somebody else came because there's no way they, <laughs> would, they, you know, there's there's nobody else that you know they they couldn't have hoisted us up. So they said, Hey, worst case scenario, we're going to put you in the water. You know, as long as we know somebody's coming, I said, Hey, we do what we got to do. So I said, okay, I'm going to be off ICS. I'm going to get in my wetsuit. Um, So I still remember to this day, um, the adrenaline that was going through me. So I took off my helmet, my SV2 flight suit, flight boots, the whole nine yards. I had to get down to the skivvies to get my wetsuit on. Um, And I was taking stuff and throwing it and, you know, towards the back part of the helicopter. Um, what I didn't realize was in the helicopter I was in, we had the tunnel. So we had a crash curtain that we kept up in flight. So if there was a, you know, a ditching at sea, it wouldn't suck us into the tunnel and and trap us back there. Well, when we got back from the flight, I'm kind of gathering all my gear. One of my flight boots had gone through the crash curtain was in the tunnel. Cause I'm like, where's my other boot? I mean, I I came with two boots. Where's, Where's my second boot? Um, so when I was doing my post-flight, I look and it was, it was back in the tunnel. I was like, okay, I guess I was a little excited to get this thing going. Um, so get, get, get my gear on, get my helmet back on, um, get on ICS. And they said, Hey, you know, the E2 circling them, um, they're giving us a vector to get into them. Uh, but apparently, you know, a lot of their emergency equipment wasn't working or it had, you know, exceeded its life capacity at the time. Um, so we got closer. We did hear them on their PRC 90, um, old school radio, you know, 243. Yeah,
0: buddy. I know it only too well. Freaking thing. Yeah. Click yeah. on. Yeah. So it's off. <laughs> click, click, click. Three channels. 121.5, yeah. 243. five Two forty three. And I don't remember the third one. Shoot. Sorry guys.
1: <laughs> one of them had the beacon option and that's where the E2 was getting them. So, uh, we're going in. The E2 was circling around, um, give, giving us a vector in. So they're basically you know, saying you know, they should be at your one o'clock, one to two o'clock. So I'm sitting in the door looking and it was nighttime, no horizon, no visibility, nothing whatsoever. Um, so off in the distance, I see a pencil flare go off. I'm like, pilot, got him one o'clock. And then that was it. That's all I saw. He goes, you got anything else? I said, nope. I said, but this is where I saw it. Come easy, right? And so, kind of got them to where I thought the nose of the helicopter was the direction of where the single uh, visible indicator we had of them was. So then we turned on our floodlights, um, come in there. Um, we saw some debris in the water. saw saw what definitely looked like, you know, oil slick. You know, the, you know the signs of okay, something went in the water here that wasn't meant to go in the water here. Yeah. Um. So off to my side, about my three o'clock, I saw the reflection, you know, of the of the of a flight helmet. Cause you know uh, I know from the Navy all the flight helmet had to be like 80% reflective. Everybody had their little styles, but yeah, you, you had to have reflective paint on there. Um, so I saw that. So I had the pilot stop. I said, you know, come easy, right. Easy, right. Um, I'm like, yep, definitely got a helmet. So uh, get, get the horse collar out, you know, granted, you know, you guys rescue strap, horse collar, whatever the case yeah, may be. The-
0: so same, it's the same piece of gear, just updated terminology, uh, so the, the horse collar actually for everybody back in the day, was a big, cushy, like bulky thing with, uh, with your webbing that came to two V rings and that's what connected the up. Then they went into the rescue strap, which was cut out a little bit nicer. LSC did a great job for that military only, uh, authorized to buy it. And then they came to the quick strap, which is a thinner. And then you have a slide friction keeper that comes down to, to really tighten that up around the chest. So basically it's just trans or been made better, better, better. Yeah. So anyway,
1: like everything, they, 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 they improve, they learn, they learn and they make, make things better.
0: Yep.
1: Um, so get the collar down to them. You know, I, I, you know, I lower it in the water, drag it over to get rid of the static cling and the static electricity and all that good stuff. Um, slide it over. Um, I get what looks to be a thumbs up. Cause again, by then it's like 11 o'clock at night. Um, so I get what I think's the thumbs up from the pilot. Bring him up, um, get him to the door, and he was in there, but he wasn't in there real good. He was backwards. Um, his hip was kind of keeping him in. The his lobes that had inflated from his uh, life vest was kind of keeping him in. So get him in the door. Um, get him get him into my seat. Strap him in. Uh, just do a quick you know get a thumbs up from him. You okay? Because obviously you know we can't talk to the back of the helicopter I was in because where my, you know, the cabin area was you're below two engines, a main gearbox, a combining gearbox, very noisy helicopter. So thank you for the Navy for disability, for being partially deaf. Um, So so I get a thumbs up from him um, and he, you know, he's pointing down, he's pointing down. So obviously, you know, I know F-14, there's another person. So go back. We're looking, we're looking, took about maybe five minutes or so. We had the, and the H2, we had a, you know, a hover floodlight. Then we had one that they could, the pilots could rotate around. So uh, Lieutenant Commander Cummings, the pilot, he saw him off about a one o'clock, about maybe 50 or 60 yards. So we slide over, get him in, um, send the horse collar back down, um, get a thumbs up. And with him, I could see he was definitely in there good. Um, So bring him up, get him in, put him in the uh, collapsible troop seat, get him strapped in, close the cabin door, get a thumbs up from him, trying to, you know, Again, hollering at each other with the whining of the engine noise. Um, make sure they're okay if there's anything significant, you know, broke, bleeding, anything like that. That, you know, so they seem to be pretty good. They, you know, um, so again, by then we're we're low on fuel. We're, you know, off the coast, somewhere between San Diego and LA, past San Clemente Islands. So we're out there a little bit. Yeah. So we're like, well, okay, we're we either need to land back at San Clemente Island to refuel, to get back to Saint North Island there in San Diego. Um, but then in this whole effort, apparently there was a, uh, a Navy ship, the USS Truxton, that was in the area um, that they had, you know, they were saying, hey, there's people in the water. So they, were, they, were, they were coming in route as well. But I see a ship versus helicopter. Helicopter were a little bit faster. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were able to get on frequency with them to say, hey, we've got the, the people in the, in the helicopter. But we're going to need some fuel. We're like, our fuel's good. You know, come land, get some fuel. So we go land. So I go tell the pilots, I said, hey, we're going to be landing on the back of a cruiser to get some fuel so we can make it back to North Island. Of course, and keep in mind, these are two F 14 guys that just punched out of a jet. They're used to landing on a nice big carrier. And I tell them we're landing on a small boy. So, you know, I open up the door. You know, we have certain procedures when we, you know, in the helicopter I was in, open up the cabin door. We always put the Uh, one of the uh, steps out that went up to the gearbox area. So I'm sitting in the door and, you know, so I'm used to it. I've done the, you know, the landing, you know, qualifications with the pilot. So I'm used to landing on the, on the small boys. Um, The pilot, I don't know if it was a pilot or if it was a radar operator, whichever one was in the class one troop seat, he's the one that had the best view of coming in the ship. So he kind of tapped me on the shoulder pointing to the ship. I'm like, yeah, that's where we're going to land. And I could see the look in his eyes was like, we're going to land on that (sighs) because, They don't have a very big flight deck. You know, we're talking a cruiser. This, You know, some of the you know, different styles of ships had different types of flight decks. Yeah. Uh, we just kind of had that look. And he, I could see he was kind of holding on to the crash. You know, we had like netting behind the the, the troop seat. So, you know, I, I get it. The guy, These guys just punched out. And they were in the water for an hour or so. Now we're going to land on a small boy. Yeah, he wasn't too happy with that. So we land. They they, they, they chalk and chain us. Um, we start fueling the flights, the The ship's doctor, who was like, you know, second class corpsman, comes out, you know, talks to me. Do they need any medical attention? I said, no, they seem to be okay. Um, You know, if they need it, I think we're probably better off getting them back to land and they can take them to the hospital there. So, okay, So the ship was very nice, gave us all some food. I think it was a plain bologna, an apple (laughs) and something to drink. So uh, get the the ship's typical lunchbox and uh, we make our way back to uh, heading back to North Island. And it was very common for the crewmen to call our base, you know, while the pilots are calling the tower to come in for the final approach. It was common for us to call the base hey, you know, to let us so they can let the the line crew know we're coming in, and if there's any issues with the helicopter, so they can prepare whichever shop needed to work on it. So we're coming in. We're about, you know, I called them up. I said, you know, Mega Three One Mega Space. Uh, we're inbound. We got two survivors, and the maintenance chief goes two survivors i said yeah we got we have five on board now can you please call you know can you ensure the base uh clinic has an ambulance and route for us he goes what i said we'll explain when we land i said but we had quite the night and it was
0: <laughs> i love <laughs> the fact that nobody else back at the base does that what you guys uh, just did <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. there there is no word i mean the, the 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 radio the base you know the north island air traffic controllers knew what was going on but you know there was no thought of coordinating with our base that you know um we had coming i'm glad we did because the base clinic was not aware that we were bringing them back even though we did tell the tra- traffic controllers were coming back so we land we shut down and usually you know on our flight line area you know there's a certain way we park but um since they knew we had you know some survivors on board from a mishap we parked right in front of the hangar and shut down. The ambulance was there. Um, so the ambulance crew comes out. I get the pilot and the radar operator out, um, give them a little pass down. Kind of, it, you know, it, It's funny. So whenever I watch The Guardian with my son, it kind of reminds me of when Ashton kushner was giving the uh, the pass down to the ambulance crew of what was going on. I, yeah. I, I did that Navy style, you know, <laughs> got on and everything. So, you know, the, the, both pilots, had, they had some minor back injuries, which is, you know, expected when you, you know, with, you know, you got miniature rockets shooting them out of a jet. So ambulance crew, they take them to Balboa Hospital. Um, the whole night, um, the night, night crew from the squadron was, they were all at, the, the hangar doors were open. Um, they were all at the hangar doors from when we shut down. So we shut down, we grab our gear, we go walk in and everybody's like, okay, what happened? So, uh, you know, we just everybody circled us and it was just because our helicopter was not known for getting rescues Um, again, because it's an older helicopter, it's a smaller helicopter, um, plus the fact that there were two other helicopters that were more capable of it. And I thought it was interesting because there was a Coast Guard helicopter coming from Coast Guard Air Station, San Diego. They were in route, but they figured it'd be well, you know, well over an hour before they would get there. And uh, so ironically, you know, listening to your podcast, that's roughly the time when rescue swimmers are really coming into play for you guys. You know, 80, the mid 80s.
0: So yeah, nineteen eighty four specifically, actually.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so I didn't know that until I was listening to your podcast. So that's kind of interesting. So they, we had the whole discussion of what, you know, what was going on, you know, what happened and everything. That's when I, you know, had to do the search for my boots. I was about ready to give it up and write it off that my boot fell out the door, uh, (laughs) during the, but you know, I had to go in the tunnel, do my post-flight anyway. So I'll get everything out. Um, we do our, you know, you know, any, any maintenance issues, do all the paperwork, um, Everybody in the squatter is like, you know, it was a big deal. Everybody's like clapping and, you know, stuff like that. So back in the mid eighties, things were a little bit different Then, you know, I took my swimmers harness because um, everything, even though I didn't go in the water, you know, I had the salt water from them getting in the helicopter and I didn't want to get, get corrosion on my harnesses and fittings and everything. So I'm like, you know, what, I'm just going to bring my SAR bags home after I shower, I'll throw it in the shower, rinse it off and let it air dry, you yeah. know. Didn't matter that it had two Mark 13 flares in there, you know. Back in the day, think about it. You know, here I am, even base with with ordnance. Um, didn't even think about it. Um, so my two roommates that were also crewmen at the same squadron, they saw my stuff sitting in the shower when they were getting ready for work, but it didn't dawn on them to wake me up to say, "Hey, what happened?" So they get to work, then they find out what happened. Then I get a phone call at home saying, "Dude, what the heck?" I'm like it was like three o'clock in the morning. I wasn't going to wake you guys up. They're like, you've lost your mind. Um, yeah. I so it it was, if you didn't wake me
0: up either. I'm just going to throw that out <laughs> there. I mean, come on, Harry.
1: Yeah. So it I mean, so it was pretty cool. I mean, it was, it, you know, it was pretty neat. So, you know, by the time I got up and, you know, the crew rest and everything, you know, I, I, I go to work that afternoon and the maintenance shop chief and our CO and XO, when we all walk in, you Everybody sitting us down in the wardroom asking what what happened and everything like that. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. We were kind of like the local heroes there for a little while. It, it was pretty neat. Oh, um, that's
0: incredible. I, yeah, you know what it, I'm really excited about is the fact that everybody who's coming in, not only asking you what happened, but you have an opportunity, you and your crew, get an opportunity to debrief everybody. Uh, so yeah. if it were ever happened again, you already, you already know what's coming and, and you already have that preemptive oh well this is what we did here this is what we did here that's that's awesome you you like everybody wants to hear the story but you're debriefing everybody filling everybody in at the same time i love it
1: i love it oh (laughs) very yeah i said you know because you know we kind of had to do some things you know things that we you know how we planned it so they had a little you know you know crew training on you know okay well if what other things could we have done and it worked out good we you know they talked about well did you think about leaving you know night, you know, because obviously back then the military, you know, we were never on a first name basis. Um we would get some helicopter crews between the pilot and the crewman. Um, you know, while we're flying was a first name basis, but obviously, you know, military protocol and all that stuff. Yeah. So the discussion came up, you know, would you leave them in the water? Then they, you know, then the then you know from the crewman side, well, you know, what things would we bring with us if we did leave us in the water and stuff. So one thing we did have in in our helicopter, we did have a raft bag that had. That had four uh, life rafts, you know the the good old LR one life
0: rafts. (laughs) The LR ones. So you know what? Side note, Uh, footnote, I should say, I never actually had to use those. The LR ones, for everybody that doesn't know, and it's it's just a flat raft. It's almost like a a little raft you would float down the river. Like it, it's flat. That's what you're talking about, right? And yep. it, they are the worst in the freaking open ocean. They will make you sicker than shit in about ten minutes. It is yep. awful, but they are great for the river. You just got to duct tape the bottom of it, and you're money. <laughs> or if yep. you duct tape the bottom, and then you can use it as like a sled going down the mountain. Sick.
1: Yep. That, Other they, than
0: they
1: that, <laughs> you know the the depot places they had the old ones, and get some of those for some bobsledding type stuff. They, they would be good for that. Oh, um, so we got awesome. different. You know, cause I heard one of your, one of your swimmers say that they, you know, they had a, you know, the helicopter had to go to refuel. So they were sitting in the water and he said he wished he would have kept a life raft with him. That way he wasn't just floating in his dry suit. Um, yeah. but so they talked about all the different things, you know, what, what could be done, what could be done better, you know, you know, so it worked out good. You know, it was, uh, um, so, you know, about a week later, the, the commanding officer from the squadron came down with a letter. Um, he wanted to, you know, congratulate the crew in person and stuff like that. And, uh, I'm not going to mention names, but you know, we, we, we had a commanding officer that, uh, his words were in certain things, you know, even though I'm an older guy now, and this happened quite a while ago, certain things just stick with you. Um, so they said that, uh, you know, his comment was, well, Petty Perry, after job, wasn't very important in the rescue and my shop chief, uh, <laughs> who was a you know, a prior mechanic in, in an F-14 squadron just kind of looked at me, and I could kind of tell he had that look like, Harry, don't say anything. So.
0: <laughs> Come so on,
1: I, man. <laughs> we, you know, they did have their, you know, back then the, the Navy had a tradition. If you rescue somebody, you get a bottle of liquor. So I did get a bottle of Bacardi rum. Even though I wasn't of age yet, I still got my rum.
0: Excellent. Um, and you did not and, open that until you turned of age. I'm oh, just going to. Of course not, like because you that would not be the Navy way. Just gonna throw that out
1: there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I would never do that. It it fermented for two more months until I turned twenty one. Absolutely, of course. Absolutely. What a way (laughs) to celebrate your twenty first (laughs) birthday. Yeah, Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, It it was funny because uh, you know two days later again I'm a third class and uh, I think it was like a Friday. You know, a couple of days after the rescue, I, I was the uh, duty driver, and you know, duty driver like any other duty driver, you you know one of the one of the duties you have is when people fly into San Diego Airport, you go pick them up from the airport to bring them to the squadron. So we had this young YN who was you know arriving, and of course I was bragging about the rescue I just had two days ago. So, <laughs> airport across the coronado bay bridge north island kind of bragging about myself you deserve
0: <laughs> to brag okay i'm just gonna throw that out there
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's pretty cool like i said you know they did an article for us in the base paper and uh and stuff like that so the, the thing that i thought was that i i also remember from it is was that you know we got you know we got the navy commendation medal and back then as an air crewman you didn't get your wings when you completed the training command you get done with the training command you get to the fleet you have a pqs that you have to go through you know which includes um going over the helicopter you have to be a plane captain you know you have to be able to you know do inspections on the on the helicopter in in case you're going on you know what we call cross-country flights or if you break down somewhere so you had to do what we call the daily turnaround. so you had to be a plane captain you had to be get all these qualifications then once you get your PQS book signed off, then you have to sit through a board, you know, the grilling board on answer, asking everything. So then after that, you get your aircrew wings. Wow. So now, when guys finish the training command, they get their aircrew wings. Not you know, and because that's how pilots do it. You know, the Navy pilots they get done with the training command, they got their wings of gold. So it took a while. There's a lot of uh, um, senior enlisted leadership that were fighting for like, hey, this is no different from what these guys do. You know. Air crews should get their wings out of the training command as well. Um, so I was on the ship. It was a Marvin Shields. We're going on a short cruise, getting ready for deployments. Um, I'm a third class in the Navy. And this was before you had the, the national defense medal was back in play. So here I am a third class, no air crew wings yet, but I had a Navy commendation medal ribbon on my uniform when we were manning the rails. And I, I love never- it,
0: dude. I love it. <laughs> oh.
1: So, I will never forget this bosun's mate chief, and I'm sure in the Coast Guard, it's just like the Navy, the bosun's mate chiefs, they're the salty guys. You know, they are the salty, crusty guys. He came up to me. He goes, hey, hey Petty Officer, what's with that ribbon? You know, that's a pretty big medal you're wearing on your, your chest. You ain't got nothing else to support. So our detachment senior chief, who is an air crewman, um, came over and talked to his chief. Let me tell you what Petty Officer Knight here did to earn that green and white ribbon on his chest. So, uh, so he gave him the, 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 the run, the, the, the consolidated version. And uh, so when we got done, the bosun mate cheese says, wow, well done. You know? So, cause it's not something you see every day. It's not yeah. something you, you know, cause the Navy it's up there, you know, granted there's some, there's some medals and awards that are bigger, but it, it's up there for a third class to have with nothing else on it on his uniform. So it, it, I kind of chuckled you know, my I senior chief. Ad-
0: I absolutely love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well
0: deserved.
1: Yeah, I- it was good. Um, it's, and the ironic thing is you, you and me have been talking. Um, I can remember that rescue like it was yesterday, even though it was a long time ago, yeah. I can remember it yesterday.
0: It's, so, it's amazing what it's stands good. out to us in, in the realm of what we do, you know, the, those, those moments, those certain cases, you know, like I, and I was actually thinking about it not too long ago. Some of mine that I've done, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I did have that." And it, but it wasn't anything that really was a big deal. It was just something unique about it. And you're like, "Oh, oh yeah." So yeah. But yeah. the big it's... ones like this, you're like every fine detail, every minute. You
1: can see yeah. the
0: color in vivid detail. Oh yeah, I love it.
1: Gosh. I, I... I, I can remember the whole the, the whole nine yards. I mean, if somebody were to tell me, okay, give me step-by-step step what happened, I think I could do it, you know. so I, I think was, you
0: did a good job right now. Just throwing yeah. that up there, too. <laughs>
1: I said it. I mean, it was my 20-year career was definitely the highlight because, you know, I told my recruiter, he goes, what do you want to do in the Navy? I said, I want to fly helicopters, I want to be a rescue swimmer, and I want to get a rescue. Those were the three goals I had in the Navy. That's, check, that's I, check, check. Exactly. <laughs> so within 3 years of me joining the navy my goals were completed but i love so so when i first joined i was what they called the tar temporary active reserve where i had to do 3 years active duty 3 years inactive duty but you know, i love flying in the helicopter i mean it you know granted the helicopter I was flying was old but i'm sure you can relate yeah. there's nothing like sitting in that door flying around oh, i mean totally totally it's, you know, it's peace and quiet. You know, we used to, when we were out at sea on deployment, the pilots used to go cloud surfing, just kind of go find the cloud and just go fly around. You know, <laughs> um, so uh, the funny thing is, um, and, and matter of fact, it was a few months after my rescue, I was at the personnel office on base doing something. And uh, I bumped into my recruiter, you know, the guy who had me sign papers almost four years ago. He, he recognized me. I didn't recognize him. He goes, Hey, you, you, remember me? I said, no. He goes, I was your recruiter back in clean Texas. I said, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we're talking. Um, so he goes, so did, first thing he said, he goes, did I lie to you about anything? I said, Nope. And I said, you remember what my goals were? He goes, yeah, you wanted to be a rescue swimmer, get a rescue. I said, guess what? Three months ago, I got it. He goes, no way. So he we we're sitting there. Like I said, cause he was an H 46 crewman. So we get done, you know, doing what we're doing paperwork wise. And we sat out to, outside the personnel office and he, he asked me about it you know so it was just neat you know so even though i you know i accomplished what i wanted um i decided okay i love flying helicopters and like i said i was going to go fly in the h60s um was almost fully qualified getting ready to go to a fleet squadron that was just standing up i um, going to get a desk job as an atops guy i had it made then my eyes went bad i'm like you know what i'm at that 10 year mark i've got it i may as well finish it so i, yeah. I you know got you know had his, had to sit and wait and call, had to wait for what we call the Nami whammy so And the Navy had the net, you know, the Navy medical review people. Um, And if you had a medical issue, it could be hit or miss on whether you get to keep flying or not. So it was always the the namey whammy we called it because either you're going to make it or you're going to get stuck doing something yet you don't want to do. You have to change rates and stuff. Um, So I was able to get a waiver to go to the patrol plane, the P3 patrol plane and finish my career. I mean, it wasn't the same from the helicopter days, but I got to I got to finish, you know, flying, flying in the Navy. So I enjoyed it.
0: Oh, Harry, that is awesome. What a great, <laughs> like, story, career. Ah, man, I'm jealous <laughs> right now. This is awesome. <laughs> it was good
1: Tough.
0: Oh, Harry. All right, so, yeah, hey, you know how I finish this off, man. I'm going to open it up to you. Any advice that you would give to the younger generation or anything like that? I mean, what do you got?
1: Um, you know, some of the things, like, you know, you and me chatted about some is, uh, you know, it's the brotherhood. Whether you're a Coast Guard swimmer, male or female Navy swimmer, male or female. Cause in my day, um, you know, there was only male rescue swimmers. Well, now there's plenty of females and I'm all about it. They, you know, cause you, you were talking to the one, I can't remember her name, but she first one who made female chief as a rescue swimmer. You just talked Jerry, to her the other day. Jerry Williams. It's like, yeah, so awesome. you can do, Amazing. do it more power to when I was in the Navy. Um, when I flew in helicopters, um, they had the first female helicopter pilot came around. You know, because you know, we're talking again, early '80s. I'm, you know, dating myself, I know you weren't around this earth yet, but you know, um, I was
0: at least around. The, okay, I wasn't in service yet.
1: Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's a brotherhood, regardless of what platform you're in or what branch of the service you're in. We call each other brothers, and again, it's combined male and female because you know. For somebody who decides that they want to take on the career of jumping out of a perfectly good helicopter to help somebody, that takes a special person. You know, not everybody can do it. Like even now in the Navy, um, the rescue swimmers are actually considered a uh, warfare specialty. They're, they're not quite the Navy SEALs, but to get into that program, they, they treat it like that. Now, you, you have to be pre-qualified before you even you know sign up for those you have to do everything so my day you know if i did good in the water and air crew school yeah okay you can be a rescue swimmer now before you sign the papers you got to qualify and then if you don't make it through the rescue swimmer school guess what you're fair game for wherever the navy needs a body and yeah. it's, it's you're not good so yeah. they are they are considered a uh a, a warfare specialty now they actually had a uh down in pensacola the the naval museum they had an h2 that was being repainted and they had a big big dedication ceremony a couple years ago so a lot of us old guys that were there we got to go through the rescue swimmer school um which has been replaced because of the hurricane several years ago but um so we did a tour of the school and the way they've got it set up from back in my day is night and day um half the school i mean part of the school is the classroom half of it, a good chunk of it's a pool and my day you know to simulate nighttime rescue training you had an instructor up on the tower with a water hose spraying water on you well now <laughs> they've got all the stuff that's able to you know make it realistic you know choppy waves nighttime lightning the whole nine yards Um then then they had a big weight room because that's you know obviously the fitness factor you, you've got to be fit to be able to do the job right. um, so it was neat to see how the navy has transitioned to make sure their people were better are better prepared to do that job. Cause it's a, it's a tough job. Um, so when we call each other brothers, there's a reason for it. Yeah. Um, because we know it takes a special person to do that. Cause again, not everybody wants to jump out of a perfectly good helicopter. Um, and like totally you said, you're going, yeah, it is. And you're going in the water to save somebody you don't know, whether it's a military person, it's somebody from a hurricane from, you know, disaster, whatever the case may be, you know, um, it's like you know, it's like you know, your, your statement says when that star alarm goes off, they're expecting a miracle. They're getting you. Yeah. So you've got to be ready for it. And, and you know, so it, it takes a special person to do that. And uh, um, so so those that have been around, they can relate. Um, those that are new to this, they might be listening to it. Um, you're a special breed. Um, take pride in the fact that you're a special breed. You know, hold your head up high. You know, don't go walking around like you deserve to be on a pedestal. But no. Yeah. In the background, you deserve to be on a pedestal because you're there to save somebody. You know, um, it's a hard job Um, uh, listening to some of your podcasts you've had recently. I remember there was a guy um, they were doing a search for a young kid at at a lake and uh, they didn't want to give up. The grandfather was, you know. They were trying to hold the grandfather back. And the guy says that he can remember when that kid was brought out of the pond that he remembers seeing his arm and his red hair, if I recall correctly.
0: Mike O'Dell, great episode.
1: So there are times that there is going to be things that are going to hit you with what you do. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And I think he said in the podcast, it takes a strong man or woman to know that you need the help because PTSD is no joke. You know, whether you're a rescue swimmer, the army or Marines that are out there that are doing the stuff, if you need help, man, get the help you need. Don't let it take you down um, because it's hard, it's hard. Um, I got, um, when I was stationed in Southern Maryland um, for my first time on shore duty, um, some of the, 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 heli- the squadron I was in is where they did all the testing for the different tactics for tracking submarines. So you had, you had patrol plane people, you had helicopter people and stuff. So there were helicopter guys that knew me from my helicopter days. So like, Hey, Harry, man, we, you know, we're all part of the rescue squad out here. You got to join, man. They pay for the training for EMT. They pay for you to drive an ambulance and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's good training. There's some benefits. Come, come join us at the rescue squad. So I, you know, I joined the rescue squad, got my EMT training and stuff like that. Um, and because uh, I know one of your guys was talking about, you know, how, you know, you were talking to one of the guys who was a, 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 fi- a firefighter type guy. And it's the same thing, you know, so I can relate, you know, the first time that I responded to an accident and you had kids in there. Yeah. Um, I've got kids I've and kids now. So it's it's an emotional thing. We have a job to do. Um and afterwards, you know, luckily, the, the county that I'm in, they do have a good support team from when they have certain calls, they automatically dispatch the uh, crisis response team. Um, so people can sit down and talk about it. Unfortunately, in the firefighter world, there's a lot of guys that feel they don't need to talk about it They're, you know, because you're a firefighter, you're a man, you don't need this. No, don't. You know, whether you're a rescue swimmer, you're because you, you, you get people from across the board that do your podcast. So I know there's people that are across the board that are listening. So whether you're a rescue swimmer in the Coast Guard, Navy, you're a pair jumper in the Air Force, um, a firefighter, EMT, a law enforcement, police officer, you, if things happen, man, there's support there. Get the support you need. Um, don't hold those things in because I have known people that couldn't handle it and they've taken their own lives because they didn't think they needed the help and unfortunately not reaching out for the help they needed um took a toll on them very sadly yeah um so don't be afraid don't be afraid you you know don't don't think you're too man enough or too tough enough to to get help that you need because we see things that we don't want to see we we do cpr on people that Sometimes we get lucky and they make it. Sometimes we get to that golden time and we're like, we've done everything we can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in Maryland as an EMT, we have a certain protocol that after a certain amount of time, if the AED doesn't do anything, we, you know, we know we've done what we can. And the hardest part is going to that family member to say, hey, you know, we've we've done everything we can. I'm very sorry for your loss. You know, we, we, there's nothing we can do you know, the first time, you know, in, in Maryland, that, that person in, in our EMT stuff is called, they're called the family advocate. Yep. And uh, that's the toughest job there is. We went on a CPR call one time, our EMS chief showed up and while I'm doing compressions, he's like, Harry, what do you need? I said, uh, we need a family advocate. And I remember looking at his face. He's like, oh man, cause that's, that's the tough job. Um, but, you know, again, you know, knowing that we've done everything we can and being able to relate that to the family, um, out of respect to them, it's, it's tough. And those are the times where, again, if you need help, get the help you need. There's resources, there's 800 numbers. Um, yeah. you know, uh, Quinny can have my number. If there's anybody out there, call me. I don't care. You know, I don't care what time of day is. I tell guys in my firehouse, you know, if you've got a tough time, here's my number, call me, yeah. you know, cause I'm, or you call me, then I get a phone call saying, Hey, you know, apparently Joey couldn't take it anymore. And he left a note. And he was just too stressed about this particular incident and stuff like that. You know, my son, who's soon to be 20, who's, I'm very proud of him. He's going through the Stafford fire Academy in Virginia. Um, I remember the first call he ran at my fire department, which is a fatality in a truck. Um, it hit him hard. He, you know, he had run calls where there were CPR calls, you know, having somebody pass away from a medical incident versus a, versus a trauma incident is, is very different. So it, it, it affected him, you know? So, you know, he, he reached out to me and some other people from the department for some help, you know, and, awesome. I, and I give him respect for that. And, and him looking at as a career now, um, he knows there's resources there. So, you know, I don't, I don't, don't I don't make, mean for the podcast to sound all down and out, but
0: <laughs> I, no, not at all. Not at all. It,
1: it, it's, it's something that people need to be aware of. Um, yeah. You know, and then going back to the Brotherhood, I've got friends of mine from my helicopter days from back in the 80s that I keep in touch with. Um, there's one guy, Pete Cover. So, Pete, yo, Pete, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> Come on, I, Pete. I, You've been called I, out. Still, I, I still remember his home phone number from back in the day. But um, we had Brotherhood, and, and you know, some of your guys have talked about it. The shop that I had when I was in HSL 35 North Island, we had a good shop. Um, we were very close. We, we were the guys that we would go down, out on the bay you know, water skiing on the weekends and, uh, not to mention it, but Pete's boat caught on fire. The engine caught on fire. We're like, man, we're out here. We want, we want to water ski. So we had this one guy who had a Chevy pickup truck. So we, uh, hooked up the ski rope to his pickup truck and we were water skiing along the shoreline from his pickup truck just south of where the the Navy SEALs do their training. We're like, man, we're out here to have some fun. We're going to have some fun.
0: Oh my Um, gosh. Boat gets on fire. Next best option, truck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it worked. it worked. You know, you got to have a good time. So, you know, those are the guys that, you know, you want to keep in touch with They're yeah. I mean, I, I could name tons of guys from from my days back in the 80s. And if they're listening, they know who they are. They're the guys that I can send them a message or chat. We'll talk about something from, from back in the day. And we pick up like it was yesterday. I love um, it. So, you know, those are the guys that you want to keep close at heart. And those are the guys, if you need the help or girls, they're the ones, you know, you can count on. Absolutely. Because they they've been in your shoes mm-hmm. um but yeah so it's just don't be afraid to ask for help man and and keep that brotherhood tight you know whether it's navy coast guard we all had the same mission we all had the same purpose to go save somebody so it's you know you know you 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 know when you, you you've been talking to the guys in the netherlands stuff brothers it's it's the same thing you know we're we, we all come from a special mold yeah. um so yeah so we're all we're all brothers you know because because what we do so for those that are actively out there doing it still, man, good on you. Um, I, I hope you guys stay safe. Um, do what you do. Uh, and, and just keep making, whether it's the Coast Guard or the Navy doing doing the rescue, or the, the folks that are abroad. And, you know, you, like I said you've got people all over the country listening. Keep doing what you're doing because you do it for a reason. And there's a passion. And, we, you know, as we say, a lot of us are adrenaline junkies. That's why we do it. Um, but But enjoy it you know, enjoy it. It's, it's definitely, it's something worthwhile and it's something that, uh, that you can value knowing going on in life that you've made a difference in other people's lives. So it's, you know, be proud of what you do and just keep it, keep it going.
0: Harry, you are the man. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this knowledge. I love it. The story, the case, it was amazing. Yeah, oh, man. I look forward to the day you and I get to meet up. All right, maybe, 80. Maybe, you know what, if we set it up right, maybe it'll be an Orioles-Red Sox game.
1: That's what I was going to say, man. If you're in town, you know, I know you'd be sporting the red, and I ain't going to lie. In Camden Yards, when the Red Sox are in town, there's more red in the stadium than there is orange. I ain't going to lie one bit. I went to a Red Sox game one time at Camden Yards. I was like, am I in Boston? I don't see the Green Monster. Yeah, come on. But, red uh, Sox Nation. <laughs> what? Well, the, the Red Sox fans, you know, it, oh. so the like I said I'm originally from Baltimore, so I'm an Orioles fan because that's you know we were talking about it. That's what I grew up with my dad watching, Boog Powell, Jim Palmer. Eddie Murphy, all those guys from back in the day. Um, but the ironic thing is, when it comes to the football side of the house, I'm a diehard Steelers fan. Oh, so um, we
0: still don't like each other. That's fine.
1: <laughs> we, but, we, uh, got,
0: we haven't hit, like, one thing yet. So you went, uh, Navy, uh, no. Hey, <laughs> Orioles,
1: no. Steelers, no. <laughs> but, hey, we got the Rescue Swimmer Brotherhood. So that, that I, You trump- know what?
0: I, I'm good with that. Uh, trump.
1: And- Trumped it. <laughs> but, seriously. You know, if you're ever in town for, in Baltimore for a Red Sox game, man, look me up, man. It'd be great to sit down, have a beer and chat in person, man. I, I, I would, would love I would
0: Absolutely love it. Love it. So, Harry, again, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I absolutely look forward to the time we get to sit down for sure.
1: I appreciate so, it. All right, man. A, I said it, man. I love this podcast. I listened to it. Like I told you, I realized I missed like 20 of them. I was like, man, this ain't cool. <laughs> This ain't the ending of Yellowstone season. I miss stuff, so I'm, oh, I'm back dude. there. But it's great listening. It helps us old guys, you know, go back down memory lane and just listening to what everybody does. Mm-hmm. Um, so like everybody else has said, I think what you do, you're taking the time out of you to do this. I think it's awesome, man. So, Quinny, I appreciate it. my um, appreciate brother. And just keep doing what you're doing, man, and stay safe, all right? Roger that.
0: Well, thank you, sir, and I'll, I'll catch you later. And with that, right, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, we – are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q.com. You can also check us out on our webpages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at therealrescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that star alarm goes off, Those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.